thank you all for coming out to this Halloween campfire stories. It's a good night for such stories. The plan is we will do these again on the last Wednesday of November and the last Thursday of December and the last Thursday of January. They're on the Ace Hotel calendar and if I have the dates right I will mention them on the radio show. There's a Desert Oracle radio show that broadcasts Friday nights at 10 p.m. in Joshua Tree on 107.7 FM KCBZ. That's really the best way to hear the show. You can hear it driving through Mojave National Preserve, kind of coming in and out as the mountains block the signal, right before they get you, right before the satanic cult pulls you out of your car. Enjoy some quality radio on the FM. It's a podcast as well on iTunes and etc. If you don't know about the magazine, it's a pocket-sized field guide to the American desert called Desert Oracle. I've got some. There are five bucks. You can come see me afterwards. I do not have a credit card thing. Cash or whiskey only. (laughs) Now, I'm going to tell you a little story, and I'm going to quote a witness, a part of it, because it's a pretty good quote. We'll get there in a minute. 1947 was a very, very strange year. In America, it was the beginning of the UFO phenomenon around the world. Started with a pilot out west called Kenneth Arnold, who gave them their name kind of by mistake. He described this fleet of boomerang shaped craft as skipping across the sky. Like if you skipped a stone, or in his weird family, a tea saucer, on a pond. So instead of kind of flying from point to point, like a plane or a bird, it would be in one place, then be in another, then another, and they all sort of skipped across the sky in this way. 1947 was also a crucial year for a occult lodge called the Agape Lodge in Pasadena that was led by the founder of the Jet Propulsion Lab, Jack Parsons, and his roommate and friend until the friend stole all his money and disappeared, a guy named L. Ron Hubbard. They performed a ritual in the Mojave Desert out by Rocket Site Road, the north end of Edwards Air Force Base, the old Murak Airfield. Now, for many years, I thought Murak Airfield, that's the place in the right stuff. 
you know, like Chuck Yeager and all these aircraft records and test flights and these maniacs. I thought it was a Native American name. Because it sounds, it sounds like some of the names you hear in some of the tribes of the, the Mojave. But proving that you must always keep reading weird things so that you will continue learning strange trivia in middle age. I very recently learned that a family, the Kurum family, of Scottish descent, I believe, decided to name their ranch that eventually became Edwards Air Force Base the letters of their last name in reverse. So M-U-R-O-C is simply their name reversed. Anyway, Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard did a uh, magical ritual. They were running the California Lodge of Aleister Crowley, the famed wickedest man alive, a magician and occultist from England, of his OTO. I believe it means uh, Ordo Templi Orientis. His magic lodge that was started in uh, the Romantic era in England that he took over about a century and 30 years back from now. Parsons and Hubbard were working on something they called the Babylon working. And the intent was to open a hole in our reality and let something come through and the symbol of this was going to be the appearance of a, uh, uh, a red-headed woman who appeared in the form of an artist named Marjorie Cameron. She showed up at the Pasadena Lodge. So they did this weird ritual. And if you've read any Crowleyan rituals... They weren't so much about, like, sacrificing goats or whatever. And I want to keep this, you know, for a family audience. But basically, uh, it involved a lot of self-pleasure in a ritual context. And chanting and spells and invoking various demons. The weird thing about Crowley is that a entity from another dimension was speaking to him when he was living in Cairo in Egypt uh, in the uh, 1910s, I believe. And he drew this creature. And it dictated the book of the law to him. And you look at this creature and it is exactly the gray alien of our modern mythology, of uh, the X-Files and whatnot. He did not claim it came out of a spaceship.
1947 was a year of constant shocks. Kind of like 2018. There were just a lot of things that did not add up with what people expected before. People were processing an enormous amount of evil, of atomic bombs dropped on cities in Japan, of Nazi concentration camps, of UFOs, of the horrible world war almost instantly transforming into a constant anxiety of the Cold War. So when a guy named Howard Hill spoke before the Los Angeles Transportation Club in September 1947 for a lunchtime audience and claimed that he was representing a friend and client who had discovered an underground city of a lost civilization in the Panamint Mountains outside of Death Valley. It was like number 62 of weird things that year. But it did, it did make the national news, which was kind of the point. And the, uh, the Associated Press... Put out a bulletin that these uh, these these explorers had fallen through the alluvial soils near Wingate Pass on the south end of the Panamint Mountains in Death Valley, and had dropped into caverns that they explored for days that went for miles and miles. Caverns that were filled with evidence of a lost civilization. It made the rounds in the news, but because the discoverers described the implements of the civilization as being identical as those used in Masonic temples, which were kind of common middle-class social clubs at the time, they were sort of laughed off the world stage and nothing much came of it. But there was a Death Valley writer named uh, Bork Lee. And he wrote several books collecting the lore of Death Valley. And he's got a book called Death Valley Men that first was published in, I believe, uh, 1938. where he relates a story that was told to him by a couple of miners that he picked up on the two lanes north of Furnace Creek who were having car trouble. Borkley placed the event in the 1920s and a Mr. White, who was part of this party of three kind of uh, hardscrabble miners in a broken-down car, he took them back to their place, and they sat around and had some drinks around the table. And they shared this. 
Mr. White claimed that they fell through alluvial soils very close to this point by Wingate Pass, south end of the Panamints, and they dropped into what looked like a subterranean built environment. They went from room to room finding weird things. In one chamber they found mummified saber-toothed cats and dire wolves like you see at La Brea Tar Pits. And then they come into a great vast chamber a long dining table in the center of it. He says, gold spears, gold shields, gold statues, jewelry, thick gold bands on their arms. I found them. I fell into this underground city. There was an enormous room, big as this canyon. A hundred men were in it. Some were sitting around a polished table that was inlaid with gold and precious stones. Men stood round the walls of the room carrying shields and spears of solid gold. All the men, more than a hundred men, had on leather aprons, the finest kind of leather, soft and full of gold ornaments and jewels. They sat there and they stood there with all that wealth around them, and they are still there. They are all dead. In the next chamber, there were openings in the mountain walls. And crawling up to the edge of these openings, they claimed that there was something smooth, like landings, like boat landings. And looking down, they could see the green of Furnace Creek below at the bottom of Death Valley. Well, they got out of there. They had drawings, maps, and they tried to find someone interested in coming in and sharing their discovery. So they contacted the Smithsonian and they said, you can have it all for $5 million. Surely a bargain of billions of dollars of gold and ancient treasures. The Smithsonian wasn't interested, but they got a little bit of local interest from the Southwest Museum in Los Angeles, which Gene Autry was a, a big funder of. But the winter season came in just in time for flash floods to erase all evidence of their entrance. As they said, it changed the country all around and they could never find it again. The miners are known to tell a lot of tall tales. Death Valley Scotty in Death Valley was one who was famous for it. And he was lucky enough to have a rich benefactor who let him live in the beautiful castle that came to be known as Scotty's Castle which was a couple of years ago, so damaged by flash floods that you could not even get access to it. It is something that happens there. Kenneth Arnold, 
who spread the idea of the UFO. His story appeared in the first issue of a magazine called Fate. Now, Fate was one of these magazines, like Amazing Stories, and these pulp magazines, but it was all supposed to be real. It wasn't fiction. It wasn't marketed as fiction. In the seventh issue of Fate, a magazine edited by a very strange character named uh, Ray Palmer, is an article called uh, Secrets of the Hav Musev. And this was an article that purported to tell the story of the Timbisha people, the Timbisha Shoshone, who still live in Death Valley after a long fight with the federal government to get a reservation just outside of Furnace Creek and then a summertime reservation in the uh, Pinion Mountains of the Panamints. of a kind of skyship that they said had been going back and forth across Death Valley between the Panamint and Funeral Mountains for as long as they'd been there, which had been about a thousand years since they displaced the culture there before them, probably the Fremont culture. And they said that these strange characters were in these skyships And they described them as having this long golden hair and this tanned skin and these piercing eyes. And it's a description that matches almost exactly what George Van Tassel, the builder of the Integratron, gave for his space visitors, space brothers, whatever they were. They gave him instructions to go broke in landers build a dome with no nails. Many years later, Charles Manson heard these stories. He probably heard them on a television show called Death Valley Days, which was for a while hosted by Ronald Reagan. of a underground civilization beneath Death Valley, beneath the Panamints especially. And he was intrigued by the story of Devil's Hole. Devil's Hole is a real place. It has the endangered Devil's Hole pupfish. And nobody knows how deep it goes or where it goes. But when there's a heavy earthquake in Alaska or South America, the water sloshes out of Devil's Hole in Death Valley. In 1965, four young divers, some of them still teenagers, went snorkeling into Devil's Hole. Only two of them came back. Afterwards, scuba divers went looking for them and they found no trace. The only thing that was ever found was a scuba mask and a flashlight that had been kind of hung on a rock several hundred feet in as a sort of marker.
Charles Manson started telling his followers that there was an underground paradise under Death Alley. Now, once they started the race war in Los Angeles with their murders in the summer of 1969, they would hide out somewhere underneath the Panamints where there were streams of fresh water and magical trees that had different fruits for each month of the year that would give them everlasting life. And the family believed it. So when he took them to the Panamint Mountains to a place called Barker Ranch, which they rented from a hard scrabble cattle rancher on what was then BLM land. It's now part of Death Valley National Park. They would go out on scoping expeditions looking for the hole that would lead to the underground paradise. Up in Saline Valley, he tried to get a couple of his family members to dive into a hot springs and find the bottom, but it was too hot. They tried to find the bottom with a stone tied to a rope. They couldn't find it. And it said that he meditated for three days at Devil's Hole, hoping for a revelation that would show him how to get through the waters and to the underground land that he had heard about from TV. Instead, in October of 1969, they were all arrested. Even Manson found hiding under a bathroom sink in the homestead because they had been going around stealing dune buggies and vandalizing national park signs. It turned out that he picked up his philosophy from a weird offshoot of OTO, the Crowleyan Lodge, called the Solar Lodge. It started in 1965 in Los Angeles, right across the street from USC. They had a bookstore, an occult bookstore. They wound up going out to a place called Vidal Junction, which is just outside of Blythe, about two hours east of here. And they took over the gas station and the cafe and the motel. And they probably could have stayed out there a long time making their plans for the apocalyptic race war that would end our civilization. But there was a six-year-old, a six-year-old boy named uh, Saul Gibbons, who was the child of some of the members of the Solar Lodge, even though they were not particularly taking care of him. It was a cult. The kids were sort of free-range. Well, he accidentally, it is said, or maybe not accidentally, considering what he burned, started a fire in a barn, an outbuilding, that contained all of these precious papers of Aleister Crowley, spell books and diagrams into the other world, curses, letters, correspondence, rules. And the members of the Solar Lodge were furious. 
And so they began torturing the child. They burnt his hands and fingers with matches. And then they locked him in a shipping container, left him out under the desert sun, a bucket for food, a bucket for water, a bucket for a toilet. When the sheriff's deputies got there, they found the child sitting in there, shackled around his ankles, baffled as to what was going on, the whole place swarming with flies, 110 degrees. And they got him out. And they arrested people. Some people fled on bail. Some people disappeared into Mexico. But there was a trial in October 1969 in Indio. And there were convictions. And during that trial is when National Park Service Police, CHP, and Inyo County Sheriffs raided the Manson family's Barker Ranch in the Panamints. Manson was not a member of the Solar Lodge, but he had passed through enough to take the absolute worst of what they had come up with. Because you asked, let's end with some cheery tales of Yucca Man. Like everywhere, we've got monsters in the desert. And like everywhere, they are not animals that you can catch or cage or shoot despite the bozo documentaries on cable TV. But they do appear, they do frighten people, they occasionally do attack people, and everywhere you go in this desert there is a local version of the story. These mountains right behind us hold one of the best known stories, and it's a name you'll hear all over this town. is Takitz, who is said to have been a shaman of the Kohuilat tribe in days past, who turned to evil and then turned into a monster. This one appears two ways, as an orb of green, staticky light a ball of green light that will follow and chase you down these canyons. And the other is of an immense shaggy beast, seven or eight feet tall, red lights for eyes. We were talking about this particular desert Sasquatch last year here and a woman came up to me afterwards and explained how she and her best friend had hiked that trail as it was a place she liked to go and sit and meditate and on one particular occasion they went up there and the bushes and the brush all around them started thrashing around even though there wasn't any wind 
and I got this feeling of terrible dread. And so they started running down the trail. And as they ran down the trail, the brush and the bushes around them were thrashing in front of them and alongside of them all the way down. She said she no longer went there to meditate. At Edwards Air Force Base, there are a couple of different versions of this monstrosity and the names are especially dumb because they were named by base police who were trying to sound cool to each other. Now that's a big base up there. Most of it consists of immense dry lakes with runways that go into the lakes. And because there have been so many secret black aircraft that have been tested and developed there, they are very careful about security. They don't want any spies from the Russian Air Force or any other potential rival getting a look at our next jet fighter or stealth fighter. So in the 1970s, there was a group of police who patrolled the area. They were known as the Desert Rats, officially the base Air Force police patrol of a unit, which I do not remember the number of. And the guys on the night shift were bedeviled throughout the 1970s. Sensors would go off, alarms would go off, security cameras would pick something up, wires would be tripped, and they'd send a couple of these poor guys out in a little pickup truck out into the dry lake bed to where whatever was happening was supposed to be happening. And they'd get out and they'd see a pair of blue eyes, like blue lasers, hovering about eight feet over the ground. They couldn't make out anything else, no shape of a body, no anything. And as they'd approach it, the eyes would move around. And then they'd lose track of it and it would be behind them. The one sergeant who made a formal report was so mocked by his fellow officers that nobody else ever made a formal report. And this was revealed when these guys had a reunion in 2008 on base. And it was reported in the base newspaper, which is called Inside Edwards. These guys talking about their experiences with the, that particular creature, which they called Old Blue Eyes, after Frank Sinatra. Another version of this creature that they would encounter, again, never seeing the actual thing, but hearing it, knowing that security measures had been triggered, they called Marvin of the Mojave. Marvin of the Mojave left one specific kind of evidence. 
and that was footprints in the dry lake bed that looked like about a size 15 sneaker. Marines from 29 Palms, who would go up to Big Bear to cool off in the summer, began telling the story of the cement factory monster in the late 1970s, early 1980s. That big, ugly cement factory on the side of the mountain there, the north side of the San Bernino's that you can see from Lucerne Valley, now owned by Mitsubishi. It's been in operation for a long time. It's where a lot of the gravel and rocks and concrete that make up all of our Southern California highways and freeways come from. They were coming down from Big Bear, had a bunch of beer in the car and thought they might want to drink that off before they got back to base. So they pulled off on the gravel road into the cement factory. They got down to a point in the road where they were shielded from view from the road and hopefully from security. And at the point they were going to get out and consume their beer, an absolute monster appeared in the headlights. Again, eight, maybe ten feet tall, arms swinging, eyes glowing. Well, they nearly backed into a gravel pile, turned around, tires spinning, and in their rearview mirror, they saw the thing running after them, keeping up with them 45 miles an hour down the gravel road. There's no offense. You can no longer enter. And then in Joshua Tree in Yucca Valley in 29 Palms, we have our beloved Yucca Man, the desert Sasquatch of the high desert. A ritual for new Marines on the 29 Palms base is to be sent out on your first night into the open desert to confront the Yucca Man, who on base is almost always one of their comrades in one of those camouflage suits with the strings hanging down everywhere. They jump out from behind a yucca, scare the hell out of the new recruit, and the legend continues. The thing was, there was an actual yucca man on base as the base expanded. It was uh, adjunct to Camp Pendleton initially. And the most consistent story you hear is of a guard working at the old rifle range and something came up behind his little guard shed he turned on his flashlight and saw nothing and he heard it to his side he left his little guard booth bravely and shined his flashlight around And he saw it just for a minute, towering over him, stinking like rotten eggs, sulfur, the eyes glowing. And one of these massive limbs slammed him right in the head, and that's where they found him several hours later. 
with his sidearm bent in half. There's only one picture that's ever been taken of Yucca Man that I've ever seen, anyway. It was taken at the uh, Jumbo Rocks campground in Joshua Tree. And it shows on the rocks a uh, kind of large, loping primate of some kind. There are reports of people waking up in the night hearing the zipper of their tent being slowly pulled up as their eyes began watering from the terrible smell of rotten eggs. So lock your doors tonight. Thank you for coming and have a happy Halloween. I should say that uh, uh, Dave Maho and his band are performing Misfits songs in the Amigo Room starting in a few moments. And after that, the new California Barber is going to have a Halloween DJ set 10 to midnight. Hi there. Hi. Oh, thank you. Thanks for coming up. It was up. super interesting and creepy, especially, especially the family waking up. With scoop marks on their dogs yeah, and that's really, yeah, that's really part of the story. That was the, that's the, that was the last night they were there. That, my favorite part was Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch is so interesting. But sadly, there's not as much in the movie as you know because it's mostly anecdotes. But there's some creepy stuff in the in the movie which we have. Hi there. I'm Sammy Roth. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I, do, I, I do have one of those credit card things, but I'm, it's such a pain in the ass that I just stop bringing it. Uh, I feel the same way about that. You want to subscribe? Well, on the website, can I subscribe? Yeah. Send you home with one. And subscribe, and I'll start you with the next one. But when we finally just get off trail in any national park or forest or any creek, hike up any I found foot, giant footprints. Especially where you're from, yeah. Like I pulled over one time, I literally got like a intuitive, almost like a mind speak in the middle of nowhere in winter in December, right before Christmas. And I was like, with my girlfriend at the time, we, we've had like three Sasquatch experiences together. And I was literally told to pull over because I saw these two trees. And we we had them come up to us right away. Like almost within like 10 minutes, they were like eight feet away from us hitting the tree. I finally gave up on the tree. I've got to walk to Keith's trail with you. I'll go with you. Yeah. What is, yeah. is that the trail you were talking yeah. about? And the, yeah. Is it's it right Keats? In, it's it's Takeets. Like Takeets Canyon Road. And how, the how many miles is that? Uh, oh, it's just an it's a easy, like, it's easy hike. Know, uh, two hours up and down. I'd love to go. 
Yeah. yeah. It's almost. Let's the, do it at the, night. At night. Yeah. The, you gotta almost wait till December. December. For it yeah. to be cool enough. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just because uh, it's, it's there's no tree cover. It's desert. Right. You know, there's a little I, bit of trees once you get out. Right. <laughs> wow. How do you spell taquitz? It's you know like like the road. It's T A H Q U I T Z. Yeah, that's what. So like this whole town is named for a monster. <laughs> <laughs> When are you here next? Uh, I will be here next to do this in a month, but another month. You know, yeah, but I can I come down every couple weeks. Yeah, I'll um, I'll we'll exchange numbers next time because I'm gonna come to yeah. this. I got one of your issues. So yeah, you know. so it's just editor Desert Oracle. <laughs> we yeah, that'd be fun. That'd yes. be so much fun. Yeah, let's go take a walk. Yeah. Bring cameras. Not that we'll get anything. No, no. I, I'd, ra- I'd rather experience it on an individualistic perception perspective. The trail workers, freaking, uh, trail maintenance workers, uh, National Forest Service employees, even sheriffs that have driven I mean, around. The most straight laced CHP guy. You get a beer in him and he starts telling you weird stories. That's <laughs> true. Right, my friend Joel. My name's Joel. Joel's good to see yeah. you. Yeah. And yeah, well, I'm. We'll that's a, that's a good excuse to do that. I haven't done that in a while. Yeah, right. let's do it. All right, brother. And come to the uh, come to the hotel. I want to show you the Sleeping Giant Mountain Peak that I want. I'd love to have like whatever city council be like. Yeah, I think they do that. Yeah, possibly. It depends. It depends who, who what the land is. Right. You know, it's a national forest. It's a sleeping Giant. Everyone I show is like, oh my god, it looks like a giant sleeping. Just this face looking out from this angle. All right. So cool. All right. Next time, my friend. Thank Good you night. So much for doing this. Man. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for asking. Oh, you're welcome.